This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Well, actually live from Vancouver, but who's keeping score? I, I'm looking out my window here on uh, my, uh, from my hotel in on West Georgia Street, and literally I could reach out my window and touch the BC Stadium where the uh, the BC Lions play football, and then right around the corner is uh, Rogers, uh, I guess the Rogers Arena where the Vancouver Canucks play and then lose in the playoffs. <laughs> Again, who's keeping score, right? I don't want to incite any riots. That's another story. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. A little bit later in the program, UFO journalist Paula Harris uh, will be with us. She was just attending uh, um, another UFO conference, this time down in Glen Rose, Texas, which seems to be a real hotbed of UFO activity. Uh, Glen Rose, uh, you're not too far then from the great, of course, the Stephenville Lights uh, incident, uh, which is just another stone's throw from the Crawford uh, Ranch, where uh, George W. Uh, has been known to uh, take up residence. Well, we are really going to do the, the, the full bore on UFOs tonight, top to bottom pretty much. Uh, our, um, our first guest will be with us just in a moment, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, of course, the founder of the Disclosure Project, uh, and also uh, heavily involved, of course, in uh, CSETI, uh, the Center uh, the, uh, for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And he's got a new documentary film he's involved with that he'd like to involve you in. Uh, but first, let me usher in my, uh, my co-host whenever we delve into the, uh, the UFO ET subject matter. And that, of course, is my good friend, Victor Vigiani, director of Zeland News Network. Hello, Victor. Good evening, Richard, and great to be with you. Uh, even though you're on the West Coast, it's uh, your voice is right beside me here. Isn't Skype wonderful? Isn't it? It's a fascinating, a very fascinating set of technologies, and uh, wow, it uh, never ceases to amaze me what comes next. We should also point out uh, towards the tail end of the program, you and I will likely. Uh, open up the phone lines. It's been a while since you and I have done this, and for the last half hour or so, we'll uh, we'll do open lines discussing UFOs, ETs, disclosure, whatever people want to talk about. 
Are you good for that, Victor? For sure. And I think that the, the really good part about that, that Richard, is that uh, with our guest, our first guest this evening, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer and then Paula Harris, uh, we will, as you said, cover the full bore of the, uh, the UFO issue. And one of the things that I think we'd like to point out is one of the, the points that Paula Harris has made is the, the women's involvement in this. Uh, generally speaking, the, the field of UFOs has been dominated by men, generally speaking. But I think uh, Angelia Joyner and Paula Harris with this conference in, in Glen Rose, Texas, have really opened up the field to, uh, to women in, in the field of UFOs. So I would invite anyone uh, of the female persuasion who wants to come and talk to us about UFOs and become more engaged about it, I would invite them to call in a little bit later on. All right. Having said that, let's uh, bring in our first guest. He is, of course, uh, as I said, the founder of the Disclosure Project, and uh, the, the father of the Disclosure Movement. He presided over the groundbreaking National Press Club Disclosure event in May 2001. Over 20 military government, uh, intelligence, and corporate witnesses presented compelling testimony regarding the existence of extraterrestrial life forms visiting the planet and the reverse engineering of the energy and propulsion systems of these craft. Over one billion people, that's a billion with a B, heard of the press conference through the original webcast and on subsequent media coverage on BBC, CNN, CNN Worldwide, Voice of America. I mean, this is getting so much coverage, you'd think, you know, everybody knows about this. Everybody should know about this. Uh, and, and yet, uh, it's, we're all sort of waiting uh, for if official disclosure, but I guess unofficial disclosure has already happened. We, the people, already know. Uh, we're waiting for uh, the uh, the the present the present occupant of the White House, I guess, to play catch up. Having said that, always a pleasure to welcome Dr. Stephen Greer to the Conspiracy Show. Hello, Dr. Greer. How are you? I'm doing great. And by the way, I'm in Washington, and I'm at my uh, my place here in Washington, which overlooks the city, and I'm looking right at the White House. So, uh, <laughs> funny you would mention that. Well, and I had a great uh, pleasure of, of meeting you at your place in Washington, uh, oh, a couple of years ago. It was uh, about 2000, May 2010, I think. And, and you were telling me about uh, your, your uncle. Was it your uncle that was involved in the Apollo project, correct? Yes, my mother's oldest brother was the senior project engineer that uh, designed the lunar module. That's the thing that landed on the moon with uh, Neil Armstrong and those Aldrin and all those guys in it. And um, so, uh, you know, my interest in this goes back to when I was very young uh, and uh, continues to this day, of course. But uh, the thing that I'd like to know about the, uh, can I, I don't know if, we, if I can use the term the Apollo family, but is it a close-knit uh, group, for example, even, even though it's been, you know, uh, I don't know, the last Apollo uh, lunar landing, 1973. But, I mean, is that group a close-knit group? Do you, I mean, are you considered sort of to be part of the Apollo family? Oh, I don't know how I'm considered. I mean, some of the uh, people who are involved in that are very supportive. Certainly my uncle is, um, and, and Edgar Mitchell. Other people are uh, just very frightened. Um, and you have to understand, you know, when you, when you start talking about this, Depends on how far they were involved. The first landing, uh, there were uh, extraterrestrial vehicles that were seen. Uh, I've had this confirmed to me by very close family members and friends of uh, the two guys that walked on the moon in 1969, uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. Uh, they were threatened. Uh, their lives were threatened. Their families were threatened if they were to speak about this. 
And really, the reason why you know they they could not attend the Disclosure Project dot org event, as well as the, the previous event, the, the, the briefings we did for Congress in 1997, is because uh, they were intimidated. And so this is an issue uh, that's a very great concern to me because people do get intimidated to stay silent. And one of the strengths of uh, the Disclosure Project has been having uh, not just dozens, but now hundreds of of men and women who have known about this subject to come together, provide information. And uh, what we're working on now uh, will be a much larger event than anything we've ever done, and that's uh, we've teamed up with a uh, uh, Emmy Award-winning documentary filmmaker. And I just re- returned last night from Los Angeles from a week-long meeting with his team, and we're going to do a documentary that's going to contain the most compelling information in the world uh, on uh, the extraterrestrial issue, on new energy issues, and on the concepts of contact. And this is going to be done in, in an amazing uh, fashion. It'll be a two-hour special. And uh, people can learn about that at uh, uh, Sirius, like the star system, that's by R-I-U-S dot neverendinglife.com. And what the, the way we're doing this is that just like we did the Disclosure Project, there's no corporate or government involvement. We, the people, are going to fund it, we're going to produce it, and we're going to distribute it. Um, there will be no big studios involved, and we're not going to um, uh, let the, the big corporate or government entities that usually squelch these things and ruin them uh, have any, any role in it at all. It's interesting because uh, Hollywood... Uh, the Hollywood depiction of the E.T. UFO issue, it's a little uh, uh, schizophrenic. I mean, we get these uh, conflicting messages. Uh, E.T. is friendly, you know, e, uh, Steven Spielberg's E.T., then Steven Spielberg releases, you know, War of the Worlds. Uh, right. So I'm not really sure what game Hollywood is playing. So you've decided to totally circumvent that whole system, that whole process. Well, that's the thing, you know, for us, since uh, the mid-90s, I've met with very senior, well, some of the biggest names in Hollywood, and I'm not going to go through them, uh, but, you know, the studios will not let this film be made. I remember back uh, before the Disclosure Project event, and I had one of the biggest directors and producers uh, in history uh, that would most people would know who he is, so I said his name, very interested in doing a true-to-life film about this. Uh, the studios would not let him do it. Um, and then a couple of years ago, another big producer and director approached me. He was attached to a studio. Uh, they were going to completely ruin it. He was actually approached by a uh, alleged former CIA guy, as well as a, a guy who had been a very senior in the Department of Energy. And what you find is that the money usually ruins things. And so if you look in the last couple of years, there's been uh, about $2 billion spent on uh, ET-related trashy films like Battle Los Angeles and uh, all the new ones that are coming out, and, and they almost uniformly depict it as a threat. And I think this tracks back to exactly what uh, Carol Rosen, who is Werner Von Braun's spokeswoman, as well as the numerous other people who I know who have worked in the defense industry as well as the Pentagon have told me, and that's they really would like to try to hoax a threat from outer space. And I estimate that 50 to 90 percent, depending on how you look at the volume of material that's put out through the media and also the UFO subculture, is uh, tailor-made disinformation that's designed to scare the hell out of people. And, you know, they've actually done, unfortunately, a very good job of that, going all the way back to movies like Independence Day and what have you. 
Um, and I think that it's really uh, a nasty agenda that's designed to prepare people for some kind of uh, a conflict or a threat from outer space when obviously there is none. Uh, you know, I remember many years ago when I was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and I was briefing the colonel who was in charge of the division of, of that uh, Air Force Base that had received the Roswell remains. And, and uh, he and I were talking uh, along with an intelligence officer, and he said, well, doctor, what if they're a threat and are they hostile? I said, look, buddy, I said, given the galactically stupid things we've been doing over the last 50 or 60 years, if they were a threat to us, it would have been points that match and over about 1945 when we detonate, start detonating atomic weapons. Um, clearly, you know, the kind of things that are portrayed on this issue uh, are, I think, nine parts and ten disinformation that's been very carefully tailored. And, you know, I have a CIA document from the 1950s, I believe it's 1953, that describes, and I'm quoting here, that this subject is uh, a very important subject for psychological warfare value, and then goes on to describe how they would engage Disney Studios, this is the CIA, uh, to make films about the subject so that it would be diminished or so that they could control the message and beliefs around this. So I think the public has to be very, very cautious um, in this kind of thing that, that you talk about, that you mentioned about how Hollywood sort of beats that drum, because it is a, uh, a dangerous game that's being played. Uh, and if you look at what uh, the people who were around Adolf Hitler did uh, prior to the Holocaust, they were also trying to convince people of, you know, the intrinsic evil nature of Jewish people or of gay people or of this group or that group. And this kind of psychological warfare preparation and propaganda, um, unfortunately, can be effective. And I think we have to always uh, dial it back a little and say, wait a minute, uh, you know, what are... What's the evidence that there's a threat from out there? And who would benefit if there was? Well, the people who would benefit would be, well, unfortunately, my uncle's old company, uh, Northrop Grumman, Lockheed Martin, SAIC, MITRE Corporation, the military-industrial laboratory and financial complex. It, it, it makes no sense whatsoever uh, that they are, because think about it for a minute. One of the things that people never think about is, are the technological implications of inter stellar travel, because if you can go from one star system to another, which means you also have interdimensional or transdimensional technologies, there is, you know, anything we have on this planet, even today in classified projects, would be no match for it. So that's simply not the agenda. We may not understand all the purposes and reasons why various ETs are here, but that certainly isn't one of them, and it certainly would never be resolved down the barrel of a, a laser or maser or anything else. Uh, and this is one of the problems with uh, the way the subject is portrayed, and I think that it, it really is an existential threat uh, to our civilization. There are two serious threats to the secrecy. One is, is what you've touched on, and that's all this propaganda. And the other is the withholding of the earth-saving uh, sciences and technologies that have been extant for at least uh, 50 years and maybe much longer that have been kept secret. And this is why we're still using oil and gas and coal and tar sands and nonsense like that for our energy needs. Let's talk about the connection between UFO secrecy and free energy when we come back. Dr. Stephen Greer, founder of the Disclosure Project, will also get into your work with the C-SETI contact team and we'll discuss uh, in more depth this new documentary, Sirius, The Next Step in Disclosure. 
Dr. Stephen Greer on the line from Washington, D.C., in studio, my good pal, Victor Vigiani, news director of Zealand News Network. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show, live from Vancouver. Don't you dare go away. Back with more. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Live from Vancouver, Victor Vigiani in studio. Dr. Stephen Greer on the line from Washington. Coming up in the second hour, UFO journalist Paula Harris uh, will be with us. And of course, your calls welcome. Get in on the conversation 416 360 in the greater Toronto area and toll free from just about anywhere 1-866-744-740 uh, Victor, jump on in here. Actually, I just uh, thank you Richard. I just wanted to throw something at Stephen here. Um, you, you alluded earlier to the way the film is going to be uh, compiled and, and produced and you have I, th- I think, Steve, a, a massive caricature to, to break through um, the the conspiracy behind the way this whole issue has been portrayed, you know, especially by the CIA documents and the way Hollywood has handled it. You have this, this sort of a huge glass ceiling to portray uh, what what the extraterrestrial issue really is. It's sort of a metaphor, and um, you know, we, we've been sort of, um, you know... Uh, uh, I guess led to believe these things are are something that's uh, you know, xenophobic or whatever you want to call it. How do you, in, when you p- begin producing this this new this new film documentary, how are you going to cut through that glass ceiling? What what sort of you know tools are you going to use? Well, to try I think to do you that? have to very carefully show the actual evidence, and then you also have to show um, the evidence for the hoaxing. For example, I have a document that describes. Uh, many years ago, the plans to engage in paramilitary abduction to make it look like there were, quote, aliens abducting people. Um, we have some people who have been involved in, in those projects and uh, we're actually putting out a call. I'm putting out a call now into Canada for people who have information or documents or who are military or corporate people who've been involved in that deception. There's some seriously criminal activity that has gone on that has masqueraded as ET contact events that are not. And this has been known for a very, very long time. I mean, uh, long before I ever got involved in this field. But it tends to be hushed up. Even in the UFO subculture, you're really not allowed to talk about this. So I think you have to expose that. You have to show the uh, best scientific evidence, top secret witness evidence and testimony uh, and that's what we're going to do as well as you can in a two-hour uh, event. And then I think we have to also show some actual contact that has happened, the kinds of contact that not just the, the CSETI.org group has had, but others have had, which is really very beautiful and very amazing and mind-blowing and much more nuanced than what's normally portrayed through the paramilitary uh, hoax events. So I think that all of these have to be woven together in a narrative um, and luckily, we have a very brilliant filmmaker who knows how to do that. I'm, of course, just a country doctor from North Carolina originally, and I'm not a filmmaker. And 
I certainly wouldn't pretend to be. Um, and this is why we're so lucky to have found uh, Armadeep Kalika, who has won an Emmy doing documentaries and is a, uh, a brilliant person. His whole team, in fact, that I was with for the past week until very late last night are just the most amazing people, um, very accomplished. And, and, you know, I had dinner a couple of nights ago with Thomas Jane, who's also a well-known actor in Hollywood, and some other people who are really getting behind this and, and are tweeting about it and letting people know. And, and what we're finding is that there's a great deal of support for doing this, much more so than people would realize. The problem has always been if you try to do it through the corporate studio world, it's a little bit what happened to Travis Walton with Fire in the Sky. You know, he will tell you that that was the biggest mistake of his life because the studio and the people who made that film based, quote-unquote, on a true story. But it wasn't. It was completely fictionalized created a xenophobic uh, spin when there was none. Uh, and, and, and Travis Walton deeply regretted that he had no control, what they call in Hollywood final cut and control over that piece. And uh, in fact, when I was offered uh, some time ago, just a couple years ago, to have a film done on based on, on my third book, which is autobiographical called Hidden Truth, Forbidden Knowledge, which is now in eight languages around the world, they were going to force me to sign a document where I would have given all rights of my life away. I would have had no recourse to change the film. I would have had no input into it. Um, it's the kind of deals that Hollywood tries to make are just insane. And I said, no, thank you, um, because I'm not interested in another fiction being put out there as if it was the truth. And this is one of the big problems with the corporate media. And we're talking these integrated multi-billion dollar entities and you wonder who is really calling the shots there and it certainly uh, it is not the creative elements because some of the directors actors producers that i've met really want the true story to come out but they're powerless to have it happen through the studio and normal distribution system and that's why i tell people that what we're doing at serious.neverendinglife.com is really something that we're doing crowdfunding. The public are going to produce this. They're going to fund it. They're going to actually be the key distributors because what you what we found with the Disclosure Project even is that the mainstream media covered it, but then it was the masses of people in England and in France and in Denmark and networking that resulted in the Danish government, the French government, the British government releasing documents and more and more people coming forward. Um, it was not because the media are doing what they're supposed to do, and that's to be a check and balance on the corruption that is intrinsic to power and government, because the large media entities uh, really are not as free as we think they are, Not certainly not in the U.S., and I don't believe in Canada or Great Britain either, and, and most other countries. Well, I, you I, want, sorry, uh, Victor, uh, go, ahead. go ahead. No, I'm just going to say that... Uh, I just want to reinforce what Stephen just said regarding Travis Walton. I spent some time with Travis while I was in um, in Australia for, for a year. Right, I have also. Yeah, and uh, I spent some time with him in the studio just before we did an interview. And I just I asked him. I said, "Well, Travis, you know how how uh, incisive was the was the movie Fire in the Sky for you to to you know reveal this whole truth?" He just sat there and he virtually shook his head and he said, "Victor, it was not even close to what 
what went on and and we right. just sort of chatted about it after and he was extremely disappointed uh, devastated was the word as to how it was handled so you can bet your uh, you can bet any amount of money you want it on the fact that CIA involvement and FBI involvement as uh, as attested to by Robbie Graham in his some of his great works they have their finger on the button and how this stuff comes out once it does get handed by Hollywood. Closureproject.org. I wrote a paper some years ago called Media Play, and there's a document uh, from the first Bush administration uh, era that was, uh, I'm told, accidentally declassified and then reclassified, but I got a copy of it, and it's on our website. Now, of course, we have, you know, literally thousands of pages on our website, but this particular document describes how the CIA had a program uh, with uh, operatives in all the major media of the world, wire services, newspapers, uh, 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 large networks of television, etc. And that, uh, in, and in this document, it says that it has been an, a very effective program in changing the narrative or the story. And so I think, you know, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is really how the world works. It is corrupt. Uh, it's, I'm quite sure, illegal. Uh, it is certainly not what our founding fathers in, the, in America anticipated, but that's where we are. So we have to deal with the reality of where we are. And this is why also, you know, many years ago I gave to the senior executive producer of ABC News 35 digital hours of top-secret military testimony and hundreds of top-secret documents, many of which have not been declassified, but that I've acquired uh, from these sort of operations. He was so excited about doing a expose on this, and a couple weeks later, he called me and said, "Dr. Greer, they won't let me do this piece." And I, I asked him, "I said, well, look, you told me you were in charge of these news programs. It was 2020 law by uh, Primetime Live in 2020." And he said, "Well, Dr. Greer, um, I can't." I said, "Well, who's told you you can't? Who are they?" And he said, "Dr. Greer, you know who they are," and that's how he left it. And this is not, this is my life. I mean, I'm telling you that these are the sort of experiences I have week in and week out all the time here in Washington. I masked them with every interview. I was at on the Australian Broadcasting Network not long ago, and they said, well, you know, when is disclosure going to happen? I said, well, we're doing it. They said, what do you mean? I said, we're doing it. The people are doing it. And this is why if there are people listening who are military or corporate whistleblowers who have information on this, or been present when there has been a UFO event, and they want to come forward in this documentary, they should contact us, and they should contact us as soon as possible. Because literally in July and August, we're going to be doing a world tour with these uh, uh, these filmmakers, and we're going to be interviewing not just, uh, you know, we have over 110 people already on digital uh, videotape, but we're going to be uh, interviewing many, many other new people. And so we put out a call for new uh, top-secret uh, military witnesses, corporate witnesses, documents, and also very excellent evidence, whether it be physical evidence, uh, photographic or video evidence that's unambiguous. All of these uh, will be reviewed, and the best of the best of the best will be in this film. All right, we'll take another time out when we come back. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Stephen Greer, Victor Vigiani in studio from Z-Land News Network, The Conspiracy Show on AM 740, coming at you live from Vancouver. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett 
from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Loose lips sink ships, and sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. Dr. Greer, you you have uh, access to some pretty uh, powerful people in Washington. You've, You've briefed some of them. You've drawn to their attention certain uh, uh, programs within their departments they weren't even aware of. But I'm wondering if you can give me a sense of sort of the the battle that's going on behind the scenes in Washington. You have people that are sending you uh, uh, classified documents. Uh, I suppose, you know, technically it's even illegal for you to possess them, although you say they can't hide behind, uh, you know, know, national security. Uh, given that these projects, you know, these black op projects technically are are illegal. But the idea that people are leaking documents to you tells me that there is a battle going on in in Washington. You've got the the pro-disclosure people and the anti-disclosure people. Can you give me a sense of that battle? Oh, yes, very much so. And what people have to understand is that this has been going on for a very long time and, and certainly long before I came onto the scene. Um, you know, as Senator Barry Goldwater told me, um, he said it was a damn mistake then and a damn mistake now that this was ever kept secret. And what you find is that the people who are in very senior places in government, uh, who you would think should know about this and have access and operational control over these projects, uh, don't, uh, if they have not been uh, groomed to go along with the secrecy. Many people have this mistaken idea that because you're of a certain rank or position that you have sort of an all-access pass. This is not true. You know, I have a friend who was recently at a, a couple years ago, a, a couple years ago at a, a dinner with uh, President Jimmy Carter, and the subject, uh, it was interesting, someone said, well, uh, President Carter, what was it like to be the most powerful man in the world? And uh, President Carter said, well, I don't think I was that man. And everyone kind of giggled, thought he was joking, and he said, and then they he, they could see that he wasn't. They say the person asking the question said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, there are certain things that even though I was president, I didn't have a high enough clearance to have access to." And someone said, "Well, what? Like things like UFOs?" And kind of you know almost sarcastically, and President Carter said, "Yes, that and more." So what, you know, a short list of the people I have personally briefed who uh, you would think would have access but genuinely had, did not at the time are people like CIA Director uh, Jim Woolsey, the head of intelligence, J2, uh, for the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States military, uh, the head of intelligence uh, uh, for that whole entity, the, the uh, director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, which is almost as large as the CIA, but it's based within the uh, Pentagon, uh, which I can almost see from my window. And what you find is that these people, uh, including very senior members of the Senate Intelligence Committee that I've met with and others, uh, are devastated that uh, when we present the evidence that this is going on, and then they make an inquiry and they're told no such project exists, et cetera, and so on. Now, 
it isn't to say that there aren't people in this town who, who, who are involved. There are. But those, of course, would never confirm it. And uh, they certainly deceive their colleagues, whether it's at the agency or uh, at the Pentagon or in Congress. There have been members of Congress, for example, who have been involved in the so-called magic or a cosmic clearance group. But they will turn to their fellow senators, for example, and say, oh, well, you know, this doesn't exist and it's silliness and what have you. And so there's kind of peer group deception that happens. And it, of course, doesn't fool everyone. But because the subject has become the butt of so many bad jokes and is considered fringe conspiracy theory stuff, most people uh, would not stick their neck out on it simply because they don't want to be ridiculed. I mean, I know as a, as a medical doctor and certainly our science advisor, Dr. Loader, at the University of New Hampshire, we've all suffered a great deal of attacks and ridicule from our professional colleagues at times. But once you find that people look at the evidence, they, they stop laughing and they go, oh, my God, this is true. And when they realize what, this, what the secrecy is about, uh, it isn't about the fact that, that you know, it's so silly. It's, as, uh, as Lawrence Rockefeller told me, it's because the implications are so profound and far-reaching that this has been kept secret. Because, you know, if we acknowledge that these UFOs are real and we have been studying them for 60 years or more, we'll have people demand to know, well, how are they flying around at 50,000 miles per hour and making right-hand turns without decelerating? They're certainly not using Exxon Jet A fuel. So when that comes out, it's a whole new science and physics. You know, it's like the REM song. It's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine. I mean, it's goodbye oil, gas, coal, nuclear power, uh, public centralized utilities. A surface transportation between cities and highways would be completely unnecessary because you'd have anti-gravity systems. Uh, I mean, and, and these are the sort of things that could have been out 50 years ago. Uh, and here we sit destroying the planet and going to oil war number X over in the Middle East over this uh, current macroeconomic system. So it's a very serious issue. The problem is, and this is where the public gets very, very uh, mistaken, is that they think somehow there's going to be some official event from the president. Now, that could happen at some point, but it'll only happen when it becomes an inevitability. In other words, something this controversial and difficult is not going to be done by the political class or the elite class. So this is why continuing the process of disclosure and we the people doing it, uh, including through this documentary and film, which is our goal to have one to two billion people around the world see it virally, uh, is something that is absolutely essential. Um, and, and it's a big mistake to sit back on our laurels and think, well, the president is going to do this. Because my understanding is that, as you know, Bill Clinton said when he was in the White House, he said, look, the White House is the crown jewel of the federal penitentiary system. I mean, there are guards, you're, you're stuck there, uh, you're often deceived, you're surrounded by people who... Uh, you know, do all kinds of palace coup nonsense. And, you know, when, when Clinton was looking into this subject, and, and Webster Hubble admitted this to us, uh, you know, he was basically lied to and denied access. It wasn't until I went and, and briefed Clinton's first CI director that they had a whole bunch of material, and we put together the best available evidence, and, and, and Clinton looked at it. But he didn't have operational control. And this is another thing I want, a very important distinction that gets lost in this discussion knowing about a subject and having operational control over the projects, two very different things. And I think that that's why, you know, it, it's a, a danger to our 
a way of life that the secrecy has continued and has become so dysfunctional. One of the things you've made clear in several other interviews, uh, Stephen, is that this whole idea of the, the Majestic 12 group, or whatever that group is called, I'm not even going to, I'll give it that label for now. You've pointed right. out several times that within that group, and it's an extremely powerful and, and pervasive um, level of, of intrusion into this whole issue, you, you've pointed out several times that there is some internal dissension with the hardliners and the people that want to come forward on this. Um, how, is, how is that sort of operationalized? How does that come forward where you've got people who wanted to come forward and You've got some hard-nosed people who don't want it, and it could just well, run, run that bias. Well, very tragic. I'm told that about 70 percent of that group now would like to see this happen, have disclosure happen. The other 30 percent are uh, murderous sociopaths who don't mind killing their own when they step out of line. And I'll give you an example. Back in the 1990s, there was a former CIA director who was involved in this subject named Bill Colby. He personally asked to meet with a member of my board so that he could get these technologies to us and some uh, seed funding so we could get it out to the public before we run out of time with our civilization uh, and, and the environment. Now, the week that he was supposed, this is the CI director, Bill Colby, the week he was supposed to meet with a member of my board, uh, they found him floating down the Potomac River. And um, my the, the guy who was setting this up was Bill Colby's best friend, a colonel who's name I do not want to repeat. And he came to a meeting with me subsequent to that and said, look, you know, we have had a terrible loss. We cannot look back. But he confirmed that Bill Colby uh, was killed, made to look like an accidental drowning when he was out canoeing or something on the Potomac River. And unfortunately, that was a shot across the bow to other people in that group. And and I've, I've heard of similar things happening at other times. So Unfortunately, if you're willing to be um, a murderous sociopath, you can control people even within your very elite group. And, and my understanding is that that has happened, and it's very intimidating. So I, unfortunately, it is not a monolithic situation. I think there is a lot of dissent, uh, but also it's been made very clear that people who don't stay in line and are too troublesome can be uh, dispensed with. And uh, I know that sounds unbelievable to the average person, but uh, there's a very senior scientist here in Washington who's actually in the largest Department of Defense lab, who's the third highest ranking scientist in the U.S. government, who I knew very, very well. And he was telling me some information. I said, look, it would be great if you could come forward with this. He said, it has been made crystal clear to me that if I do, and he's sitting at my home out in Virginia in our library, and he says, and I have witnesses to this, he says, if I were to do that, I had been made very clear that they would kill my wife, my children, and my grandchildren. Something terrible would happen. He says, I'd love to help you, but I can't. So some people have been threatened that way. Other people haven't. And ultimately, it's something, as I've always told people, for every person we've been able to get on the record to come forward, there are at least 10 that I have met with who have given me information who are too afraid to. But see, that kind of fear and intimidation is puts a real damper on this. And this is why we need to find men and women of great courage and, and conviction who know that it's time to come forward. And the larger the number that do, the better. Uh, and I think that, that that's really key. Uh, so far, all the people who come forward for disclosure projects have never, ever been harassed. On the other hand, if you get someone like Bill Colby, who's defecting with the crown jewels, and that's what he was doing, 
um, they can be rather nasty. So this is a delicate situation. Now that was 15, 17, whatever years ago, and we're, we're, we know things are evolving. But uh, you know, this has been a, a very big problem. And, and when Eisenhower left the office, and he said, "Beware the military-industrial complex," a very famous quote. This is what he was talking about. And he knew because he had been stabbed in the back by the Rockefeller Commission that reorganized the CIA and the Department of Defense and made it so Byzantine and, and so uh, difficult to penetrate that he lost control over these secret projects dealing with the UFO and ET issue, and he knew it. So I think that, uh, you know, people don't realize that in the United States and, and most industrialized countries, there was a very quiet coup d'etat that happened uh, well over 50 years ago. And then a not-so-quiet one uh, about 47 years ago. Do you think Kennedy's assassination, I mean, there's much been has been made about the uh, these um, um, presidential executive orders that he released demanding uh, that various uh, groups, the uh, Office of Naval Intelligence or the CIA, you know, release documents pertaining to the to the UFO question. Did that have anything to do with his, with his assassination? Well, it's certainly very suspicious, and um, my information is that it absolutely was connected, and also to the death of, of there was an actress named uh, Marilyn Monroe that probably younger people never have heard of, but he was, she was a, a paramour lover of, of Jack Kennedy's and also Robert Kennedy's, and uh, I have a document, that, uh, a top-secret document that's been authenticated by uh, a man who used to carry General Odom's a briefcase at the National Security Agency, and, and he told me uh, that it was 95% certain it was authentic, and that's as good as you're ever going to get without actually getting the provenance right out of the vault. But this document describes Marilyn Monroe wanting to come public in a press conference to tell the world what uh, JFK had told her about the UFO issue, quote-unquote, objects from outer space that were found in New Mexico, clear reference to Roswell. And uh, a day or two later, they found her dead. Now, you know, Burl Ives, who was a very famous actor and singer, had been on our executive committee for uh, CSETI and the Disclosure Project. And uh, I showed him this document. He said, oh, my God. He says, we all knew Marilyn Monroe had been murdered, but we didn't know why. I said, well, now you do. And Burl Ives was a 33rd degree Mason. And, uh, but he didn't know the back, the deep background on why Marilyn Monroe died. And then a year later, of course, Jack Kennedy was killed in 1963. Marilyn was killed in August of 1962. So, uh, you know, this kind of thing, I know it sounds like a, a completely crazy conspiracy theory to most people, but the strangest thing happened to be true. I, I, I'd like to know if you can, if you can tell us, what is the nature uh, of this free energy energy technology, are we talking about quantum access, or what are we talking about here? Well, you know, without getting into a lot of arcane uh, transdimensional physics, if you can visualize that the entire cosmos, but even the space in the room where you're sitting, has embedded within it uh, what has been called a field of energy, from which all of linear space-time is fluxing, including subatomic particles. And this field of energy, which, you know, has been called the Dirac Sea by Dr. Dirac, uh, by the, uh, the zero-point energy field by other people, uh, is, is a vast and, and uh, endless source of energy, but that it is an interface between other dimensions and linear space-time. And if you want to look at the entire linear material cosmos, it's as if it's a, uh, a basket hanging underneath these 
other dimensions that are like the big balloon that's carrying it along. It may be unseen and undetectable uh, currently to most eyes, but it's there. And this is the energy field and also the dimensions through which interstellar spacecraft travel. They're not going through a straight line uh, through linear space-time. Even at the speed of light, it would take too long. So they are literally using very high-voltage resonant systems that pull energy out from these other dimensions that they, where they interface with this dimension, and then they can drop in and out of linear space-time. This is why when you, you see many of these videos of, of where you'll see a, an object, it'll be there, and then instantly it'll be gone. and Or it may move on radar. It'll be at one point, and then be 40, 50 miles away in a second or two. Well, this is a nonlinear transportation, and it's not going linearly through space and time. So these sorts of uh, technologies and sciences have actually been uh, stumbled upon and experimented with by everyone from Nikola Tesla uh, all the way through to T. Townsend Brown and others uh, to the current era. I know people personally who are working in SCIFs today, the Secure Communication Intelligence Facilities, where they're doing work with this type of physics. And here we sit putting gasoline in our cars and oil in our uh, heaters and burning coal for well, in China and India, 82% of their electricity is coming from coal, and very dirty coal, I might add. So, you know, this is a crime against humanity and a crime against the Earth, and it will only change when enough people understand the reasons for the secrecy. It isn't just because, gee, there's life out in outer space. But most people already accept that. And in fact, 70% of the public, since the Disclosure Project, now think that the government is hiding something about UFOs. But many people haven't begun to really comprehend the why. And the why is always the most important part of a story. Why is it secret? And the why for the secrecy has to do with the science and technology end of this. And and it's a very, very big story. And that is part of what we're going to tell in this um, documentary at uh, serious.neverendinglight.com. And we need people to help support that because the more resources and funding we have for this, the more evidence we will be able to acquire and the better the production values will be so it will be viewed by more and more people and taken very seriously around the world. So this is why we're appealing to the public to get behind this effort because uh, it's the only way this can happen. Go ahead, Victor. No, I just wanted to reiterate what Steve was saying regarding the the leap from the understanding that there is extraterrestrial, uh, you know, uh, you know, life out there to the idea that of the why, as you said, Stephen, that if we look beyond that, this whole idea of the of the energy factor and people understanding that that energy source, whatever it might be, and however people understand, will be the next leap in understanding uh, through disclosure. So we're not just talking about disclosing about the fact that, that there is extraterrestrial life out there. I think uh, what Stephen is saying is that we need to have the public, the general public, understand that they're living a myth, basically. Uh, living a myth that we're, you know, based on fossil fuels and, you know, filling up our gas uh, uh, engines with, with, with fossil fuels. And somehow that has to come to an end. And I'll tell you something, Stephen, that will be a very, very hard nut to crack. Well, it is, but, I, but mainly because, and I, I discussed this with the, the Honorable Paul Hellyer at great length, and because and, and, and he understands macroeconomic theory and, and the situation, is that it isn't just about money. It's about the power of that money and how the world runs or doesn't run. 
But, you know, that's all old stuff. Look, the last 100, 150 years, they've had a good ride with the uh, centralized uh, petrodollar uh, and, and fossil fuel system. But we have to make this big change. And, you know, talk about change you can believe in. This is a very big change. We have to make contact with these civilizations peacefully. And this is why CSETI.org, CSETI.org, has a program to train people to be ambassadors to those civilizations. A lot of people don't take that seriously. But the reason it is so important is that we cannot leave that to the military and to clandestine covert programs to do it. Uh, it's very important that we head up this effort to disclose the truth to each other because it's very unlikely that the governments and the big media empires will. And it's very important that we put the resources together to put the scientists uh, in, one, in, in a facility to build up these energy technologies because... You know, we have acquired a, a great many documents as well as, uh, frankly, secret information on a seized, uh, illegally confiscated patents. But where are you going to do it? I mean, I'm not an electromagnetic engineer, and to get these people in one place to build up these new energy systems <laughs> safely and get them out to the world has to be a serious research and development program. And, uh, you know, we've never raised more than a few thousand dollars to do what we're doing, but the fact of the matter is, you really need to have a few million dollars or a few tens of millions to do that. And this is another reason why disclosure is so important, because there's a trillion dollars going into, uh, you know, a carbon abatement, uh, trying to solve the greenhouse warming problem, doing alternative energy solutions, but they're very expensive ones like solar and wind. And, and there needs to be a little bit of resource going into something that would actually fix this problem and not things that are in, frankly, window dressing. And uh, now, with that, I'll say I, I do have a solar farm out at my country house. It's a 10 kilowatt. I've generated almost three megawatt hours of electricity in the last year and a half, and that's great. But, you know, I, I took a lot of money out of my retirement savings to do it. It's not something most people in the world can afford. And I think that's a tragedy. And so to get to something that's affordable, that creates a real change in how we're living on this planet, we have got to get these new sciences out. Uh, and so both, you know, this is where all three of these issues are our focus. Uh, contact is peaceful, uh, disclosure, and these new energy sciences. And all three of these issues are going to be dealt with in this film. Through your work at the CSETI contact team, do you, are you getting information that these civilizations that have this free energy at their disposal, is it your sense they want to give it to us or that we're not ready for it? What's the holdup? Well, no, but the, the reality is they know we already have it, but that there are these devils who are humans who keep confiscating them every time someone comes out with it. For, I'll give you an example. There's a man that I've spent a great deal of time with in 1970s, 74, 75, he had a transdimensional physics laboratory and developed one of these. In comes a bunch of jackbooted thugs who had a national security order. They seized his technology and said, look, all this information you have is going into the vault, and you're working for us now. So for the last 40 years, this genius has been working for the intelligence community through a contract for IT&T, and he is unable to bring that information out. Now, when he came forward to us, he said, look, there's some people on my team who think that I can bring out the parts of this that just do with energy generation and not anti-gravity and propulsion. I said, great. 
So we gave him a $62,500 grant. He began to work on this. And then a former CIA director, who is part of this devilish group, came down to his skiff and threatened him and threatened his wife. And he got hold of us and said, look, I cannot do this. So that was two years ago this spring. So I'm telling you, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is going on. And, in fact, you don't have to take my word for it. Look at uh, the orionproject.org, and we have a document up there from the uh, Federation of American Scientists. And Stephen Aftergood, who heads up their national security program, released this about a year and a half ago in October of 2010, that there are 5,100 and some patents that have been seized using national security orders. Now, this does not include the devices like this gentleman I just referred to who hadn't even thought of patent yet, but they found out he was working on this and seized it before the patent process. And what people have to understand is that there are criminal elements in the corporate and governmental world that keep suppressing technologies that our leaders and the public would like to see out. And this is really something that is very, very worrisome, and it is at the core of the secrecy around the UFO subject. So you're saying that, that, that super-efficient energy systems have been definitely classified and shut down uh, according to some sort of national security uh, proviso? Yes, absolutely. And, we, and this is another thing we're looking for people to come forward as whistleblowers. People who have been victims of that, we're asking to step forward and be in this film because we're going to have this report from the Federation of American Scientists in there, and we're going to establish the fact, not the conspiracy theory, the fact that these sciences and technologies have been around for many years, not given to us by ETs because they know, look, the laws of the universe are universal. Humans have come across this, certainly was augmented by our study in extraterrestrial vehicles after the 40s. But we have had this for many, many decades, and here we are still living uh, as if it's 1888. I mean, it's ridiculous. So this is something that has got to come out through uh, this film in a way that is very compelling, but has the strongest possible evidence and whistleblowers. And this is why anyone listening who has or knows of someone who has had been victimized by this kind of chicanery, whether it's in Canada or the United States or elsewhere, should get hold of us immediately. Um, because this is something that I really do think the public should know about. I'll tell you something that happened not long ago. I have a man who's uh, in Congress that I have briefed for many years on this issue, and he has a friend who was in the Department of Energy in the United States and was at Oak Ridge National Laboratories and uh, actually was in an area where there were uh, countless of these devices and technologies that had been seized and collected that were in storage there. You know, this is something like out of an Indiana Jones movie where you go into this hangar and there's all these top-secret things in boxes. And yet this person is enormously credible. And I think that, that we have got to bring people like that forward who will say, this really is going on, and it's a shame. Because think of the world we could have. Free energy, no poverty within a generation, no pollution, the complete transformation of our the way we're living on this planet so that we can begin to have a just society. Because without a just society, we will never have peace. You cannot have peace in a world where you have 200 or 300 corporations and families that have literally 50% of the net worth of the world, and that is a true statistic. We're going to have to have a world that and have a tie that lifts everyone up. 
And that cannot happen for 7 billion people using fossil fuels or even nuclear power. And we see the mess that's created. So I think that, that this is the sort of thing we need to pursue, uh, and we need people to come forward and explain it uh, in a way that isn't uh, uh, speculative, that, that actually uh, says, here are the documents, here's the experience of this scientist or this person who was at this corporation who witnessed uh, an object or a device being black shelled where it's put on a shelf and classified. Uh, we need people who are going to come forward with, with this um, so that the case is made and people understand that there has got to be a peaceful uprising around the world where people demand change. And, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the objectives of this film. Dr. Uh, uh, Greer, UFO historian Richard Dolan has suggested oh, yeah. that the elites have this technology. They are utilizing it. And, and, and that, in essence, makes them, these elites, in possession of this free, tech, the free energy technology, a distinct and separate civilization from the rest of us. Do you have any documentation or have you heard anything to suggest that, for example, these elites that are, that, are, uh, that are in possession of this technology are using it, may even be living off-planet, as strange as that may sound? Well, they're certainly using it. There, there may or may not be um, assets that are um, not too far off-planet, but, but out there uh, utilizing them. I know that's the case. Um, the, the thing is, you know, if you look at, I have a blog now, it's, it's uh, uh, Dr. Greer's blog, disclosureproject.org. Anyway, you can find it at disclosureproject.org. And I just wrote an article about the MOTUs, which is my acronym for Masters of the Universe. And it's not the 1% that everyone's concerned about. It's the .0000001%. Because these are the folks who really do have these sciences and technologies and who are really calling the shots. And you have to understand that there's an estimated $500 trillion in assets in financial assets and uh, commodities traded uh, that deal with the current fossil fuel and macroeconomic system. And, you know, the entire United States budget, as much as it's in deficit, is $3.5 trillion. So when you look at this, the tail really is wagging the dog. And this is why President Carter said when he was asked, are you, you know, what was it like being the most powerful man in the world? And he said, I don't think I was that person. He wasn't joking. And and uh, it's incredibly not only anti-democratic, but it is uh, misanthropic and sociopathic that a group of people like that who are drunk on this level of power would let the world go to the brink of environmental collapse and war after war over fossil fuels with all the Middle East mess and, and you know and China, you know, fighting with its neighbors for the oil that's in the South China Sea and what have you. But this is the kind of thing that we simply cannot continue to do for another hundred years. So Agreed. change is inevitable. I would say that the sooner we make this change, the better. How can people get involved with delay, your film? The more difficult it'll be. How can people get involved with uh, your, your documentary? Well, they can go to Sirius, S-I-R-I-U-S, dot neverendinglight.com, and they can see a description of the film, and they can pledge... Um, a contribution. Everyone who makes a contribution will either get a copy of the film or something else um, by contributing, and it can be as little as five dollars or as much as, as much as people have that they want to give. Um, you know, and our donations have ranged from five dollars to twenty-five thousand dollars. And 
so far we've raised about $180,000. Now, we're not all the way there yet, but uh, we're getting closer. And that's only in the last three and a half or four weeks. So, you know, we're really excited about it. And um, we're going to do a series of world premieres when these, this comes out that will be much larger than the Disclosure Project, by the way, um, that will be worldwide. And um, the people who, you know, contributed to this, we're also going to ask to be distributors. Uh, in their own communities and hold premieres and uh, of their own where um, you know I can't be there and the filmmaker can't be there but they could get 500 or a thousand people together there in Vancouver and, and do an event. Dr. Greer always a pleasure thank you. Thank you very much for your help and I uh, hope everyone listening will, will join forces to make this a reality thank you. All right we say goodbye to Dr. Greer, Victor Vigiani you stay, sit tight back in the studio in Toronto Paula Harris on the other side here on The Conspiracy Show. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind. On The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Uh, Idea City is coming, and uh, this is uh, billed as Canada's premier meeting of the minds. Of course, the brainchild of Moses Neimer. Uh, now, now I believe this is the 13th year or the 12th year for Idea City, and uh, I've actually been invited to speak about 2012. Uh, the uh, the event takes place uh, beginning June the 13th. Uh, next week on the program, David Sursta, who is the vice president of events and conferences at Zoomer Media. Uh, and is uh, is uh, one of the you know the, the people behind Idea City, along with Moses, will be on the program. Tell us more, uh, and I'll share with you a little more detail as to what I'll be doing at Idea City. Uh, now, Paula Harris is uh, with us. She is an Italo-American photojournalist, investigative reporter in the field of extraterrestrial-related phenomena research. She's also a widely published freelance writer, especially in Europe. And she has studied extraterrestrial-related phenomena since 1979, and she has just released a new revised edition of her book, UFOs, How Does One Speak to a Ball of Light? Paula, how are you? Really good. How are you doing in Canada? We are terrific. And, of course, Victor Vigiani is uh, with us in our Toronto studio. Victor, say hello to Paula. How are you doing, Paula? I'm doing really well, Victor. Not a girl. You just returned from Glen Rose, Texas. There was a big UFO confab down there. Tell us about it. Well, actually, it was one of a kind. It was an all-woman UFO conference. 
It was a symposium that I had dreamed about putting together because, as you know, often, uh, you know, it, it, the field is dominated by men, and I figured this was the year to balance the energy. So the reason why I wanted to do it and what really inspired me was the courage of one mainstream journalist named Angela Joyner. She was the journalist that covered the Stephenville Lights phenomenon, which happened on January 8, 2008. And because she became so interested in UFOs, she lost her job on the Stephenville Tribune. And because Angela did such an incredible job, she was on Larry King Live, she was on CNN, uh, I figured that we would give her a special award that I would put together incredible women like Carol Rosin, who was part of the Disclosure Project with Stephen Greer. She worked, on, uh, she worked with Verna Von Braun. I put together um, uh, the other people, and, and that was, you know, Dr. Lynn Kitai, who uh, was the medical doctor who filmed the, the Phoenix Lights. Uh, Lisa Romanak, who is the wife of a con- of contactee Stan Romanak, um, different women that you know actually were six in total uh, to talk about different aspects of the UFO phenomenon. It had never been done before in a very small town, and it was such a success, Richard, that the town itself, the tourism bureau, was going to continue it every year. I'm not going to finance it. Uh, next year, but they they're going to continue it, and they plan on doing the same thing the city of Roswell does. So it kind of opened up a dialogue on UFOs, and and it was led by women. And I've driven through Glen Rose. That's not too far from Stephenville, right? Yeah, it's it's thirty minutes from Stephenville. It's uh, the the actual sighting happened in between Stephenville and Glen Rose, and part of the conference was Saturday night. We had a thirty uh, car, car caravan that went to Ground Zero, where the scene of the of the sighting was, and we saw that there were no trees. It was on a hill. It's a clean, 360 degree clear view, and uh, it was just amazing. We all just went up there, all all uh, 60 or 70 people that decided to go and follow Steve Allen, who's really the principal witness, a pilot uh, and a businessman there, and in uh, Glen Rose. So it was successful, and part of the, the, the deal was that we were to go to ground zero there. Victor, jump in. No, actually, I, I spoke with uh, Angelia this afternoon in the hope that uh, perhaps the uh, the two of you could share the uh, share the program together, but she was on her way uh, to her cottage. Uh, but she does uh, send her best wishes uh, to us this evening and to you, Paula, so that we can explore this issue. And we would love to have Angelia on at some point because she is a, a founding person in this whole issue. And she really went out on a limb to, uh, I guess, protect this issue by, by actually losing her job, as you, as you intimated. Um, I, I want to I find out from you, um, people like Ricky Sorrells and um, I, I guess uh, other people who, um, who, who wrote the actual report for, for MUFON, um, what, what sort of um, exposition or what sort of uh, play did the media take on what you did? Well, first of all, uh, you, you know the, the protagonists, and, and, uh, and, and they were very courageous. Uh, we had a panel at this conference with Ricky Sorrells, with Leroy Gayton, who was the constable. It took him a while for him to, 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 to come forth. 
and uh, for um, Robert Powell and for Steve Allen. Robert Powell was MUFON. He's the one that actually got the radar reports. The media takes things seriously when you get radar reports. Uh, you know, the, when it first happened and that Angela did the, did the, um, did the interview with Steve Allen, it, well, a very amazing thing happened. Steve Allen put his telephone number in the newspaper, something I would never do. And he had a lot of people calling him. And that's how they got the other credible witnesses. But somehow people do not uh, digest this information until something like the radar reports came out and showed this object, where it was, the different radar returns they had, how, the, the speed that this thing traveled at. Uh, Steve Allen told me it was a mile long. He looked, at a, looked up in the air and it was a mile long. And he saw the F-16s, you know, chasing it. Now, that is a very conservative community. It, uh, um, unbelievably, there wasn't anybody from Stephenville at the conference. But there, was, there were um, people from 38 different cities in Texas and not Stephenville. So I'm, I'm trying to make sense out of that. I think it's very hard for people uh, to understand that this is a real phenomenon. But there, since so many people from Texas came, from 38 different cities, somewhere in Texas, they are really interested in it. I don't know, Paula, how much of our conversation with Dr. Stephen Greer you were able to hear. Uh, but I'd like to, for you to weigh in on the, the subject of uh, free energy and who, who has this technology and how they might be using it. What, do you have any sense of how the elite groups may be using free energy for their own purposes? Yes, uh, in, in a way. Now, you've got to look at this logically. I think I'm one of the only journalists that ever talk about the secret being tied up with, uh, besides Stephen Greer, who's very courageous, with reverse engineering. When you have UFO crashes, and as early as 1945, that was the first one that happened in San Antonio, New Mexico, and then several happened in the Roswell area, you're not going to take the UFO and throw it in the trash. I mean, that's logical. You're going to recover the, the thing and try to figure out how it got here, who was in it, and how it, how it, uh, you know, how it flies. So you're talking about the type of energy that is not, you know, doesn't use fossil fuels. And if you're talking about 1945, you're talking about 66 years ago. Something has happened in 66 years with the crash saucers that have been taken to either initially Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and then after to Area 51. So whatever energy there is that, that they or whatever propulsion system or anti-gravitics they have discovered is on the back burner for when they figure, whoever's managing this, figure the time is right to have this come out. Now, who's interested in this? I think it was very interesting that in January 11th of last year, in Saudi Arabia at an economic conference, they invited Jacques Vallée, uh, Nick Pope, Stanton Friedman, and Mishu Kaku. And, and by the way, Stanton Friedman and Nick Pope are not going to talk about uh, uh, economic issues. They're going to talk about UFOs. So on the other side of the world, you have a whole economic group of, of Middle Easterners we're dealing with this, and here in the United States, we are not. Do you think it's possible that the elites are utilizing this technology, and they have, for example, 
uh, they're, they're living off planet, some of them, or they have the capability to live off planet? I think that's a possibility. Basically, uh, you know, I'd rather look at it as as uh, a uh, component of the secret space program. I'm sure you guys have talked about Gary McKinnon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've talked about the secret space program. I interviewed Frank Ferguson, whose father worked on a deep space platform in 1952, way before we went to the moon. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I really think that there's probably some secret space program where and I don't know who's running it. You, you mentioned the elite. I have no idea who would be running this this uh, this other space program where you know we're already in outer space, where we've already been to Mars, where we have you know uh, situations on the moon. As you know, we have now commercial um, uh, conglomerates like uh, SpaceX that is making its own rockets to go to the space station. Uh, so we got to look at, at at all of this other alternative stuff. Is it possible? Absolutely. And I've interviewed people who's either who's uh, relatives or who they themselves have been inter- uh, you know involved in this. It's to me, it's just logic. At at some point, uh, I guess you have to realize, Paula, that even back as far as 1947 or 1950, at that point, whatever type of technology uh, was sort of apparent on the on the sort of the public screen uh, to the general public there were things in operation or at least experimented with there were at least 35 to to perhaps 50 years in advance of what was going on so if you extrapolate that number that at any given time what we see on the surface you know the the, the fancy jets that we have now and uh, the F-16s and the Falcons and the F-22s and all these new exotic jets, that there is something or there are other things that are being calculated and built and experimented with there are at least 35 to 40 years in advance of what we see right now. So where does that leave us right now? I mean, if you're, if you're talking about advanced technologies, you're not talking about jet engines. You're talking about anti-gravitic technology. So when you talk about the, 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 the Stephenville light situation, where the, the, the witnesses saw a craft that was the size of a Walmart building hovering silently. Now, that could have been one of ours or it could have been one of theirs. We just don't know, but the fact of the matter is it did not possess the technology that we have right now. So that in and of itself should tip off the media and government to say, listen, let's look into this stuff, but you know what? No one's paying attention. Yeah, and they certainly didn't listen to Ben Rich, did they, Victor, when he said we have the ability to to bring et home uh we have the technology to to bring, take et home i mean this is just before he died i mean he was the head of lockheed skunk works so i mean you know what it is i i think it's very hard for people it, we're interested in this subject matter all of us because we're interested in the truth and we're we're looking at it different differently but i mean the average person has so much on their plate right now that the UFOs or anything like this is the last thing that they want to deal with, including the President of the United States. Uh, it, it just opens a Pandora's box. It, for the United States of America, it opens a Pandora's box because they have to admit they were lying. The official, the official story on Roswell is, officially, it was a mogul weather balloon with crash test dummies. It's so ridiculous. It's ridi- that somebody like Jesse Marcel, Jr., who's an intelligence uh, agent brings home pieces of a mogul balloon to show his family is ridiculous. 
So when they change that story, when they change the Roswell story, when they come clean on that, and then over all the years of all the lies, whatever it is, including the fact that NASA, the astronauts have had uh, ET experiences and, and uh, seen craft out there, it, it opens up such a Pandora's box that you can almost see why, I mean, on a logical level, why they can't touch it. It can't be touched from, from maybe the United States, but it is being touched in Brazil. It is being touched in France with the Cometa report, and they're working on a second one. There, it, it, it can be touched with the Ministry of Defense in Great Britain. So, I mean, other countries are saying, hey, it's time. Uh, but unfortunately, the United States says, when we decide it's time, uh, and when we decide to take to to you know manage this information the way we want it, what do you think it would? Go ahead, go ahead Richard. Sorry. Oh, I, I was just going to say, Paula, Stephen Greer again w- was was characterizing those individuals that point zero 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 one percent that are keeping a lid on this, as he described them. Uh, Victor will attest to this as 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 uh, homicidal sociopaths. You know, the, the, these are the people that killed CIA Director Bill Colby when he was perhaps willing or, or ready to, to disclose or, or, or hand over some of this technology. Given that, this is the, this is the, the stripe of individual we're, we're looking at here. Do you fear for your life? No, not really. Because, not really, because I'm, I'm basically... I guess, in a way, I have a master's in education, and I'm basically a teacher. What I've decided after all these years, and I've been working a long time, Richard, at this, is my job is just to document it. I'm like Barbara Walters. I interview everybody. I put it in a book so that 200 years from now, when your great-grandchildren know this is the truth, they'll go to the library and look up the testimonies of the real first-source people. That's really, you know, I, I really tend to stay away from conspiracy theory stuff in that I can only handle one thing. I want to handle the UFO thing. I can't handle chemtrails and 9-11 and all this. Because, yes, we live on planet Earth, and yes, it's corrupt, and yes, all this stuff happens, and yes, money runs it, and yes, we have the Illuminati. But I can't deal with all of it. I can just do a good job with one piece of it. And the one piece that I think I do an excellent job with is talking to the people, the first-hand source, uh, you know, people that are directly involved with the UFO phenomenon, with aliens, with technologies. I just, I don't know if you know this, but I just sponsored Clifford Stone's book, Eyes Only, where he talks about in detail the crash retrievals he did and the live and dead aliens that he was involved with including the questioning of a live alien at the Pentagon. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that different people do. And, 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 and as far as Stephen is concerned, Stephen has, has done so much. But the thing is that out there, whoever's managing this thinks that the end justifies the means. It's Machiavellian, that they're doing a good thing. Because, you know, they're doing it their way, and, it, it's, it, it, and they're managing it for, for the benefit of whoever they think they're managing it for. So, no, I'm not nervous about anything. All I do is archive uh, the story. I just archive it. It's real. 200 years from now, you'll have the words of the original people, and that's what my job is. All right, let's get a break in here on the other side. Victor, you can jump in. Paula Harris. 
our uh, UFO journalist and her new book, or it's the new revised edition, UFOs, How Does One Speak to a Ball of Light? We'll ask her, how does one speak to a ball of light? On the other side, The Conspiracy Show, live from Vancouver, AM 740. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Next week on the program, James Fetzer will be with me. And, uh, well, just about the full two hours, we'll uh, talk about uh, his latest research on 9-11. Right now, Paula Harris stays with us, UFO journalist. Victor Vigiani in studio from Zealand News Network. And, uh, Victor, jump on in. Yeah, you've uh, your revised book, uh, Paul, just finished reading it last week with the number of interviews that are in it, it's it's quite staggering. And as you say, it is a chronicle and a testament to uh, all the people who have sort of drawn the bottom line in their own lives about their testimony regarding this whole issue. But there's one thing I, that I've always been perplexed by and, and really wondered about. Is that it's a document, and I really like reading some of the great documents that have been released, declassified ones. And the one that you cite uh, in your book, the, the, in the discipline of uh, chapter, what is it? Discipline of exopolitics is the is the Oppenheimer um, uh, Einstein uh, sort of draft letter, relationships with inhabitants of celestial bodies. And you've got two people, Robert Oppenheimer and uh, you know, and Einstein, stating that the military in the United States take it for granted. I'm sorry, paraphrasing that there are in fact. Uh, beings from other worlds visiting the planet. First of all, how authentic is, do you feel this document is, and what does it say? Well, I think it's very authentic. It's on the website of Ryan Wood and and Bob Wood, and you know that Bob Wood uh, worked for, uh, I think he worked for Lockheed Martin, but Bob Wood and and Ryan Wood have received the MJ-12 documents. Uh, yeah, years ago. And this particular document, Victor, I think is the basis for exopolitics because Oppenheimer, who created the killer of worlds, the atomic bomb, helped create it, and, and, and Einstein, who was involved also, and when they were working on this in the, at the Trinity site, if you read my other book, Stargate to a New Reality, there's a 1945 crash that happened two months after the release of the atomic bomb. So whatever's flying up there uh, was very interested in our atomic capabilities. And so Einstein and Oppenheimer were aware of the sightings. I mean, there are actually photographs of UFOs over Trinity site after the bomb went off. They're historic photographs. So these two men are extremely intelligent. And what they did was they said, well, look, we did this. We created the atomic bomb. We opened a Pandora's box here. We have all these sightings. Something is flying these sightings. And they wrote a letter to President Truman, and they said, look, if the something that's in there uh, happens to be cultures or cosmic cultures, inhabitants of celestial bodies, they call them. 
And they said, what do we do with these people? Should we give them a piece of land on earth? Do we negotiate with them? Uh, if they have cultures, can they, we learn from them? Uh, because remember, the, the sightings are sightings. It doesn't mean they had a space war and they're bombing us. They're just sightings. They're watching us. Uh, what do we do with these people? And, and that is what exopolitics is for me. It's the uh, ability to put together protocols for future contact. It's like saying, you know, we know it's real. What do you want to do with the people inside if we happen to meet them? And so the whole entire document was completely squelched by Vandevar Bush, who wrote a little note and saying, no, President Truman is not going to see this. And, and, and this is what's so sad. This particular document, I think, almost assuaged the conscience, uh, the conscience of, of, of an Oppenheimer, who, if you study him, his, his security clearance was taken away from him. He became a peace activist. His whole entire history was a reversal of what he did. And, Oppen and of course, Einstein, I think, was, I, I think Einstein had contact. Now, if you know for sure they were down there, and you know for sure that they were, they knew about the 1945 crash, they would have to, because that Socorro is so small. Uh, you know, then then they know this is a real situation, and they have to. That it needs to be dealt with. And 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 you, uh, there's also a piece in my book where I talk about the United Nations revolution. I mean resolution, because the only way you could bring up UFOs is some country has to bring it up that doesn't have a stake in it. And so what happened was that I think that they wanted to create a supra, it says, supra United Nations, because the one we have right now could not handle this. Yeah, I do you think there's any – sorry, Victor. Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Do, you think, do you think there is any connection between 2012 and UFO disclosure? I mean, we, people have sort of, uh, uh, sort of tacked on – Various things to the you know the Mayan prophecy in 2012 and, and 2012 has become this catch basin for all our dreams and all our fears and all our you know hopes for the future and our fears for the future. But is there a connection between UFO disclosure and 2012? I don't. I I think we've already had disclosure. I think anybody who's paying attention knows this is real. We've had disclosure. We've had pilots talking about situations. We've had the Belgium sightings. We've had Stephenville. We've had. Phoenix, I mean, what else do we need? Uh, we've had the Disclosure Project. I think that 2012 itself may be a year of evolution. It may be the year that we all grow up uh, for some reason, and, and I don't think it's the end of the world. I think it's an evolutionary year where the, the kid grows up. But I, I do see that it, the disclosure could be in the hands of the ETs. You have a major sighting over a major airport in broad daylight, and it's over. Game is over. I, they can't do anything. That you know, you, we can't control the sightings. If they decide to show themselves, I mean, there was a book. I don't know if you guys uh, ever ever heard of uh, Childhood's End yes. by Arthur C. Clarke. But that's exactly what happened. Is the overlords or the UFOs went through every went to every major con uh, country and just sat over the airports, uh, 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 sat over the countries from South Africa to all over the place. And so if they decide to do that, it's game over. So it's, you know, I think that in a way the disclosure needs to happen from, you know, them. I mean, they, they need to do something. Uh, if they feel that we're in danger they, if for some reason, catastrophe, I don't know, asteroid or whatever it is, that they, that they show up 
in, in a way that it doesn't get interpreted as an alien invasion, but gets interpreted as here we are, we're watching. Just for our listeners, and I, I think I've sorted this out in my own mind, we do have a couple callers on the line that maybe we could chat with, but just for our listeners uh, and your perspective, Paula, what is the difference between disclosure and contact? Uh, how do you, how do you di- differentiate those two things? I think that, con- well, contact, I think, is, uh, is a communication be- between races. I mean, you can, in the early days with the Aborigines and even with the Native Americans, you had contact with these, these races that we didn't know existed when we did the discovery of America. You know, what's his name? Uh, Columbus had contact with, with a brand new race. Disclosure means telling the truth, getting it all out there. In other words, this is the truth. This is what we've been hiding. This is how it went down. This is the countries involved. These are the people involved telling the truth. And I think that we're getting the truth in bits and bats from these incredibly, incredibly you know, uh, stationed in NATO in, in Europe and, and a Clifford Stone and, uh, you know, all these people that, that, that... I think we're having trouble with Paula's connection there. We are. We are indeed. Listen, why don't we uh, take this opportunity to step away for a moment and uh, we'll get some uh, uh, callers on the line all teed up and ready to go. So, Paula, if you can, and if you're able to stay with us and if you can hear me, uh, stay put. Victor Vigiani, you do the same back in our, in our Toronto studio. The Conspiracy Show, coming at you live from Vancouver. Back with more in a moment. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll-free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Welcome back. Live from Vancouver, Richard Serrett with you. And in Toronto, Victor Vigiani. Uh, We've... um, uh, had some technical difficulty. Uh, Paula Harris is being uh, jammed by someone or something. So, uh, however, we had scheduled her for a half an hour, and half an hour she had. So we'll uh, let her go. And Victor and I will uh, continue on and uh, open up the phone lines. And if you'd like to talk about uh, what you've heard tonight, and you've heard an awful lot from uh, the likes of Dr. Stephen Greer talking about disclosure and free energy and uh, who has the free energy and why they're keeping it from us. And you've heard from uh, Paula Harris. So if you'd like to weigh in on any of that, or if you'd like uh, to start a sort of a new thread on your own uh, relating to UFOs and ETs and disclosure and free energy, etc., then uh, please, uh, the phone lines are available to you now at 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll-free from Thunder Bay to the Carolinas and Maine to Minnesota, one 740 Four seven forty. Are you ready to go, Victor? Yes, we've got a couple of calls on the line here, uh, Richard. All right, let's say hello to Derek in Toronto. Hello, Derek. Uh, hi, Richard. Um, I just wanted to share with you guys that uh, you know that our federal minister, energy minister is Joe Oliver, 
and uh, on nine different occasions, I posted on his Facebook page about Andrea Rossi's cold fusion energy ECAP machine successfully being demonstrated back in October. And on nine different occasions, those postings were deleted from his Facebook page. I didn't get a chance to do it a tenth time because then he deleted me from his Facebook page. And keep in mind, he's in charge of a $900 million clean energy fund whose sole point is to try and find these new, cheap, clean energy sources so we get off of fossil fuels. So uh, you guys know where Andre Rossi's ECAT cold fusion energy machine is at right now? I do not, uh, Victor. No, I don't either. Uh, but I will say, Derek, uh, first of all, I want to... Uh, Pay tribute to your efforts regarding posting that information on the on the on the website. Uh, just by way of uh, corollary information, I have met with my own uh, member of the Ontario Legislature uh, and talked about this with him, uh, Charles Souza. I've had uh, meetings with him regarding the whole energy issue. I sat with him for well over an hour uh, last year, and we did meet about it. We did talk about it. Uh, and he nodded his head in, uh, in in agreement, but nothing happened. Now, this was a face-to-face meeting with him about the, the whole energy situation. And I, I guess what I did was I, I interpreted the information to him in a way that just spoke about energy. But then after a while, you had to bring in the whole issue of, uh, of the, the UFO, ET kind of uh, concept, the whole phenomenon, that this is where this is coming from. And as soon as that came up, his eyes became dark. And so I'm not surprised that the, uh, the energy minister did what they did. Uh, this is just a way this information is suppressed, and people just don't want to talk about it. I'm perplexed by that, Derek, and I don't know much more, uh, how much more you can do about that. But I would, if I were you, I would stay, uh, stay true to your, your own feelings about it and keep on doing this. Be relentless in your, in your attempts to contact this man. And in any other way, you can uh, actually give me a shout and maybe we can do it together because this is the kind of way this issue is portrayed or can be portrayed and we have to force our public officials they are our representatives and they must hear what people are saying and for some reason they've got blinkers on and they've got cotton in their ears and they just don't want to listen and i think it's up to us to make them listen i think there's um another a, a possible way uh, to address this with them uh there is obviously a, a tremendous uh, risk that they're taking uh given the climate given the way that this topic is treated in the mainstream media, etc., uh, that uh, if they were to engage you in a public place, like on a social network, uh, they would leave themselves open to public ridicule. So, uh, and, and there are individuals, I, I, I sincerely believe, in politics, and, and I know, Victor, you can attest to this, having a conversation with a, a certain late political leader uh, who, who showed some interest. Mm-hmm. If you do it in private, if you do it uh, in such a way that they are not going to expose themselves to a, a public ridicule. I think that's the way to do it. Not on Facebook, uh, not calling them out in a press conference, not, not uh, you know, sending out a press release saying, I asked the minister this and this is what they, mm-hmm. they said. I think it has to be done sort of back channel. I would, I would agree with you, Richard. Uh, in my conversations with Charles D'Souza, I, I didn't, did not get the feeling that, that he was against the idea. Um, what, I, what I felt was that 
if it were made public that he would have a uh, you know risk on his doorstep you know for his own uh, for his own i guess reelection or whatever it happens to be but i do agree with you that if you can draw in the confidence of these individuals and if you can provide them with substantial logical clear information about what the issues really are and not force the issue in terms of a public acknowledgement of it, you have a good lever at your disposal. And I think that's probably the best way to go. And um, how you go about getting those um, those kinds of briefings, I'm not quite sure. Um, providing documents is, is one way. Um, providing safe a safe venue for these people to operate in, where you can you know brief them in private and and they don't have to fear for their own reelection. That's probably the best way to go. But then, what comes next? I guess is my question. Indeed, that's that's the million dollar question. Uh, Helena Elena from Richmond Hill, welcome to the Conspiracy Hello. Show. Good morning. Hello, I've been listening very carefully to what has been discussed. And um, I do believe that there must be life on other planets somewhere in the universe, other universes, because, the, because space is infinite, as God is infinite, infinity. But I do not believe that they have made contact with humans, with this planet. I do not believe in that at all. I do not believe in UFOs. I do not believe that aliens have come down to Earth and um, people have gone up in spaceships and all this business. It would make what I've, what I've heard today is fascinating. It would make interesting science fiction. I love science fiction, but I do not believe a word of what has been discussed. Um, but I do believe that there is other life out there in, in, in space, but we will never, never know. Um, we will never be able to contact it because um, the space, because space is infinite, is infinite. Now, another question I have for you. Do you believe that the devil exists? Uh, well, I, I believe, uh, yes, I believe in the devil. Now, you're asking me. my mother yeah. said that the devil has, will come back to Earth, will materialize and come back to Earth. With, do you believe in that? Well, it, by the devil, if you're talking about if you're talking about demons, uh, uh, well, I believe in I believe in the existence person. of demons. If you're talking about Satan, and you're talking about the uh, uh, you're talking about Satan and, and Antichrist, uh, yes, I believe uh, I believe in the Bible. So, make of that what you will. I think the Bible is interesting mythology, stories, stories. Uh, it's beautifully written beautifully written, but it's all mythology. Um, religion is morality, has nothing to do with God or the devil. It's to do with morality. All right, um, we're sort of straying off topic, uh, Elena, but I, I appreciate your call and weighing in tonight. Thank you for that. Let's say hello to, if we can keep it to, uh, you know, UFOs, ETs, uh, sort of the, the theme for tonight, would greatly appreciate that. Let's say hello to Arthur. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show, Arthur. Well, partly to what your 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 just your college just said. That when the scripture says that the woe to the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great anger. So the devil does exist, as you uh, would agree. But the thing is, if UFOs, UFOs, or extraterrestrial life was uh, was there. Wouldn't God put it in the Bible if it would be of a concern or a threat to us? Well, unless he did, and we're simply um, we're um, we're calling it something entirely different. I mean, maybe maybe uh, you know these these princes of the air, 
uh, or this uh, angelic realm, demons and angels, maybe those are UFOs. I think one of the, the points that Arthur is raising is, is a very good one. I think we have to really um, ponder how the Bible has been portrayed to us over the, over the centuries and wonder why the same sorts of things that are portrayed in the Bible uh, over the many millennia that it, uh, that it, that it uh, chronicles and the way the manifestations of, of, of God or angels or whatever was manifested in, in, in the, the, the New and the Old Testament. Uh, why is that not happening now in the same way? Well, I think it is. I think that the manifestations of things we don't understand, be it from the sky or be it in our own mind or, or ultra-dimensional, I think that those kinds of things are manifesting themselves right now today in the form of whoever these visitors are. And they may have portrayed themselves back in the Bible in the same way that we're seeing them right now, but being interpreted in a different way. So I think the Bible is, is contiguous. It, it, it continues today. The Word of God and, and, and the Word of, of, of all of the people who have written about how we as a human entity experience the beyond continues today. And what that what well, the difference is, it's just how we interpret it today in our technological society. So, I agree. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, ha had we this conversation with Stephen Greer, we would probably, uh, uh, he, we would be met with uh, grinding, gnashing of teeth. And <laughs> I think that would, this, t this type of conversation would annoy Stephen Greer to no end because uh, he, I, he's trying to get out from underneath this portrayal of of of, of uh, E.T. as, you know, demonic or what have you. Mm -hmm. I think, though, that I think we're all right in a sense. I th I think that Stephen uh, might be too quick to dismiss, uh, you know, the, the accounts from the, uh, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of abductees. Uh, I mean, they they're they're not all, uh, you know, uh, victims of some military psyop. I think there is an abduction phenomena, but I think that there also are. Um, uh, entities out there that are spreading light, and these are also perhaps from the angelic realm. So we have what are being characterized as different ET civilizations could be angels, demons. That's just we just don't know. <laughs> That's the whole thing. It's it's almost like we're, we're we've got a, a black screen in front of our eyes, and in that black screen is a small pinhole. And behind the black screen, there's the whole reality of what we're looking at. And we are only capable of looking through that one small little pinhole at the reality that's beyond that black screen. And uh, we, we don't have a stereoscopic vision of it. All we were, we're sort of bending down, looking at it th through one little microscopic little pinhole with one eye and trying to figure out what the heck is going on on the other side of that screen. And I'm convinced that once we figure out what is, going, what is in fact going on or it's, it's made known to us, it's going to be totally different than what we perceive from this side of the screen. Well, I have to, I have to try and, and, and take this phenomenon uh, and, and push it through a certain filter that I have, which is what one informed by Holy Scripture. Mm-hmm. Because it, I mean, that informs my life, and that, that is my reality. So I have to look at it that way. And that is the only way it can make sense to me uh, at this present time. However, uh, to be discussed over beer <laughs> forever. forever Let's yes. say hello to uh, Walter from Hamilton. Go ahead, Walter. You're on the air. Welcome. Okay. Um, I just want to talk about Paul Harris. Um, 
So she she's talking about some disclosure stuff about the aliens disclosing. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, if you look, like, there's this whole search for like life out there, right? By scientists, like, they they discovered water on Mars and the moon and stuff, right? Right. So if there's like this big search, wouldn't you think like they'd find aliens if they were there? Like, they have this whole thing where they have like these giant, um, you know, the big satellite dishes, scanning the sky for like radio white waves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So wouldn't they, I mean, if there was, like, aliens even above, like, in our atmosphere or whatever, like, they'd definitely make some sort of communications and stuff, like, we'd be able to hear it, right? Well, th- that's assuming that uh, that they haven't tried to, 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 to contact us uh, and that this information is, is, uh, isn't being suppressed. In fact, uh, Victor, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe there is... Uh, someone who is uh, affiliated with this big array of sort of satellite listening devices in, in places like Puerto Rico, Arecibo, and so forth, mm. who, who maintains that there was contact made and that that information was suppressed. Of course. It's, it's quite clear that, that these, these craft or these beings, whatever they are, uh, they have manifested themselves, Walter, in many, many different ways. I know um, our, our previous guest uh, for, in the first hour, Stephen, uh, Stephen Greer, and in addition to others, have well over 4,000 uh, radar tracings in addition to the Stephenville light situation, which if you read the document on it, it had literally hundreds of what they call paintings. In other words, the radar hit this thing hundreds and hundreds of times to prove, in fact, that this thing was, in fact, in the air. So we do have solid evidence, radar evidence, that these things have been picked up in our own atmosphere and even beyond, too. So the the difference is, uh, Walter, is this kind of information is not brought forward to the public. Somehow it dies on somebody's, uh, you know, a docket sheet in, in, the, um, in an editorial room at the Toronto Star or the, or, the, or the Globe or the New York Times. These kinds of things, you know, die a slow death. They just don't get covered. But the fact of the matter, though, that kind of information is there. What you're saying, Walter, is there, but it just doesn't have a way of getting out to the general public. And that's the whole, uh, you know, crime behind all of this, that, that, that's, that the general public does not, is not privy to this information because the fourth estate is asleep. They're asleep at the switch. They're not paying attention to what the reality of all of these things that you're alluding to, Walter, that they are in fact real, but somehow this just doesn't get out into the public realm. Walter from Hamilton, thank you for the call. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. Last call to the phones, 416 360 0740 in the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740. Get in on the conversation, toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario 1-866-740-4740 Shaking the world and seeing what falls This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio AM 740 Welcome back Victor Vigiani stays with us in studio. Victor, why don't we just grab a couple of minutes here? You're going to be sitting in for me solo 
on Sunday, July the 1st. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what's coming up on that program? Well, actually, uh, great of you to mention that. Really uh, interesting because we're going to have probably one of the most... Um, Oh, how can I say it? Uh, actually, it was the very one of the very first books I read, Above Top, Top Secret, by Timothy Good. We're going to have Timothy on the program. He's from the UK, and he is one of the premier uh, UK researchers, if not international researchers, on this whole UFO um, question. And th- the reason that we're having Timothy on is because he has access to not only a huge myriad of documents, but he has been told and spoke, he has spoken to many insiders that have uh, delineated to him much of the inside information about the UFO phenomenon. And his new book, A Need to Know, we're going to discuss that too. And Timothy is an absolute wealth of information, been around a long time, and I think that anyone interested in the UFO issue uh, from a both uh, you know, a document point of view and inside information will want to listen to that program to get his perspective on it. He is a brilliant um, researcher, uh, impeccable taste in, in, in the kinds of things that he gets into, and uh, very specific in the way he researches. So that's the, the, the first thing that we're going to be talking about. And then after that, I think that uh, people will want to listen to our, our, our talk about uh, with, with, with Thomas Stryker. He has uh, written a fascinating book about off-world existence, and I think that's going to be a, a real um, a good adjunct to what Timothy Good will be talking about with us in the first part of the evening. Thomas Stryker, Extraplanetary Experiences. These are uh, people who not necessarily have uh, been abducted or, or had contact, but have experienced glimpses uh, or, or had some sort of an experience off this world on another planet. Yeah, and I have done a little bit of research in this in this field myself, and actually, I, I had some very disturbing encounters with one individual. His name is Michael. I won't give his last name, but uh, he has he did tell me uh, a, a number of times. This is back in the in the early part of the um, uh, the nineties, but ninety three or ninety four where Michael did actually describe his journey to other planets. And at the time, to be quite honest with you, Richard, I, I, had, I really didn't know where to put this. You know, being as open-minded as I try to be, you listen. But um, when you see a person sitting across the table uh, talking to you about these kinds of experiences and they're sweating and they're, they're literally almost to the, the brink of tears, uh, you have to think about uh, what's going through their mind and what they've really experienced and, and give the person a bit of room to explain what 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 they really experience. So I know this is a, a very tenuous and very speculative uh, area of the whole issue, but it's something that uh, because the of the nature of this whole issue, it's so very, very bizarre. But you must you must give people room to explain what they've been through because we don't know the whole story. And that's why programs like this exist. So that's Sunday, July 1st. Victor Vigiani sitting in for yours truly with Timothy Good and Thomas Stryker, Extraplanetary Experiences. Dan is on the line from Michigan. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show, Dan. Good morning. Hey, hi. Well, thank you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Can I hear you? Yep. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. I was just finishing up with chores and listening to what you guys have to say. And you don't realize how whacked out it is that some of these people are saying. I mean, come on. Realize that, you know... You, you guys are talking about aliens from other planets coming down and, and visiting this Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's the, first of all, let's not confuse the Bible with anything from any, any other planet. Okay, first of all, in the First Testament, uh, the Old Testament, I should say, uh, Ezekiel's will. Okay, I'm not just, just, you know, 
disagreeing that there's there's other life or any planets out there, but let, let's not confuse two subjects into one. No, no, no. There's no there's no confusion. My my feeling, Dan, is quite clear. I don't believe in extraterrestrials. I believe in interdimensional beings. I believe in an angelic demonic realm. So if you're talking about, uh, uh, you know, ETs, what you're really talking about, as far as I'm concerned, are angels or demons. No confusion. One and the same. We're talking about extraterrestrials. I mean, in America. President Obama's daughter can't even go to Mexico City without it hitting CNN headline news or even a Secret Service people getting involved with prostitutes in Colombia. And you think that if a UFO landed somewhere, CNN would have picked it up or somewhere and we would have all heard about it. I mean, this, this is just so bizarre and, and far-fetched. It, it's not even funny. It's something you'd see in yeah. the choir on the grocery line. Could, could I ask you, Dan, Dan, could I ask you, why, why have you come to this particular conclusion? I mean, that's just common sense. I mean, you don't got to drink poison to know it kills you. I, I, no, if, if there are extraterrestrials out there, fine. No, it is, it's like it, we're probably like a science experiment or an anthill when you're out disking in the field. We don't have anything to offer them people. They've already come and gone and looked at us. If, they, if, if we had something to offer, they would have come and visited us. And you don't think that's already happened? No, I don't. Not it would have been seriously documented. But you guys are talking about. Well, that's the well, that's the point so that it has been seriously documented, uh, unclassified documents, uh, and and there is a I mean an, enough documentation that you could fill half a library. Uh, I mean that's the point. If you actually would sit down and and review the material, and I'm not going to get into what these things are, whether they are. Uh, demons, or, uh, or, or you know, from the demonic or the angelic realm, or whether they are extraterrestrials, or whether they are time travelers, or whether these craft are made, you know, uh, by Lockheed uh, Martin or whatever. There is documentation that exists that the U.S. government and other governments are concerned about them, that they've tracked them, that in some cases they have shot at them. That is indisputable, Dan from Michigan. So I would say, take a couple of weeks. Look into the, the actual documentation that exists. It's online. It can be found elsewhere. And then give us a call back. Victor, always a pleasure. Thank you for this. It's been a great, uh, great evening. And uh, all the best to you out in Vancouver and in your pursuits there. Looking forward to seeing you when you come back. All right, my friend. The Fox and Fiddle. You and me. For here. sure. UFOs. Good stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and who stole the cookies? There you go. All right, back next week, as I said, Jim Fetzer, a noted JFK researcher who also is a 9-11 truther, and he's uh, going to be with me probably for, I would say, about an hour 50 and change. And uh, also, uh, David Surster will drop by. He is uh, with the uh, event and conference, or he's the VP of events and conferences at Zoomer Media and uh, is helping to put on Idea City, Canada's premier meeting of the minds, and somebody had some cockamamie idea that I should speak there, and I will be J June 13th on 2012, and I'll tell you all about that next week as well. In the meantime, don't be afraid. Nothing concealed that won't be revealed. Nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. Come on home. Good night.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.